so uh, welcome back to another episode of Reason to Doubt. Uh, today, uh, Jordan and I are going to explore gun violence, gun control, some of the issues and, uh, and things around that. So we decided that last episode about anti-vaxxers would piss off too small a segment of the population. <laughs> yeah, so. So, so we're here to piss the world off and this right. is a great way to do it. Yeah, we want to hit a much wider net this time. Yeah. And I, I guess the reason we uh, we chose this one, too, was um, the two recent shootings in El Paso and, and Dayton. Um, they were in the news. And again, you know, media is covering these things and there's a lot of information being put out there. And so uh, it's important to be able to take that information in and then parse out what is what is real, what is not, what is being miskewed, what data. Um, it's because a lot of claims being made. So. And t- they tend to be the same claims that are made over and over again. Right. They have the same um, sticking points and they, they right. go back to them. And it can often be the case that if you hear the same claim again and again and again, it eventually just becomes true because right. you've heard it enough. And not to say that the claims are necessarily all false, but that's a trap that you have to be aware of. Just because someone says something fifteen times doesn't make it any more true than the first time, right? Oh, and that's part of a part of human nature too. Is um, let's say you tell you could start telling a lie, and then you tell that lie over and over and over again. Eventually, you believe your own lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just you know that's how we work. So it's important to be able to get that stuff in check. Um, I think maybe one of the first things we can we can start with is, um, I guess the uh, just gun violence in general so one of the things that that you hear a lot is that you know gun violence is a uniquely american problem uh nowhere else in the world is is this an issue um and so i think that was that was a very common refrain during the um democratic debate right the one that just happened and uh, i was watching a youtube video and the democratic um presidential candidate cory booker had said uh quote this is a uniquely american problem no other nation sees this kind of carnage happening within its own borders, unless, of course, they're at war using weapons of war, end quote. So, I mean, e- even that statement there, you know, he's making it sound like America is in a war zone and we're using weapons of war and things. But, um, you know, and this this claim goes back to a paper that was um, titled Public Mass Shooters and Firearms Across National Study of 171 Countries. And it was published in the Violence and Victims Journal, Volume 31, Number 2, in 2016. So if anybody's interested, you can go check that paper out and look at it. So Lankford looked at data from 178 countries, 178 countries. Um, He says he gets his data from two reports, one by the NYPD and one by the FBI, both in 2014. And according to his analysis, which he doesn't actually go into a lot of detail as to what that analysis entailed, uh, but according to whatever he did to analyze it, um, America represented 31% of mass shooters in the time examined which was right. i think 96 to sometime uh, recent actually 66 to 2012 66, 66 to 2012 yeah so and, and it's important this is he's a calculating this as global offenders of mass shooters basically right so we are the usa is 31 percent of global offenders by having less than five percent of the global population um which sounds about right so clearly an outsized Percentage. And what's a what's important about this this Langford study is it's one of the only studies that's actually been done and put through peer review, and it's been used by almost all the major uh, media outlets to cite the this uniquely American problem. So, and Obama was using this in uh, 2016, uh, before 2016, when the, before the public was the paper was published. So uh, he was citing these stats before Langford even completed his study, although he knew of the study. Which is always inadvisable because yeah. you never you never know what's going to change um, as it goes through the peer review process. But that just, I think, kind of highlights how um, unique the study is. Unique meaning it's one of the only ones that has gone and examined this problem this way. 
it's not without um, criticism either, too. And Langford's uh, methods, while he does highlight in the paper the the methods that he uses, he highlights some of the limitations of the study. But he's gotten some criticism from other scholars in the field uh, about his approach to the data. Um, so one paper was done by Lott, um, who looked at this paper. Um, he is a professor at the College of William and Mary here in Virginia. This was published in Econ Journal Watch in 2019, so very re- recent, uh, only five months ago. Um, and I checked before we got on here, Econ Journal Watch is also on the Master Journals list, which means it's a legitimate, respected, reputable peer-reviewed journal. So these are two peer-reviewed papers. And uh, what uh, Lot and his partner Moody, they went through and did their own uh, study of mass shootings worldwide, and they came up with a completely different uh, number. So they said it was about 4.5% of the world's population during this period that was studied, but it only accounts for 2.9% of the public mass shootings. And so you have two drastically different numbers uh, by these studies. But Lot was actually criticizing Langford for not revealing his sources, but I think you discovered that Langford actually does, you know, cite where he got his information, right? Yeah, he does cite where he got it. Um, he cites the reports that he's pulling the data from. There's a Q&A that went back and forth between Lott and Langford, where Lang- Lott asked Langford for the data and Langford said no. So Langford is perhaps not being cooperative with Lott. I think it's probably because he doesn't like Lott very much because Lott is kind of antagonistic. <laughs> um, but Basically, the, the the information is cited. You could go get it, but Langford isn't handing it to Lot, which Lot was right. criticizing him for. Um, but I think the real difference, if you dig down into the two things, the two papers, they both say neither one is saying that the mass shootings that are reported in the other one didn't happen. So Lot's not saying like Langford's study, like those are incorrect. What he's saying is that he is incorrectly having a, a too narrow definition of what a mass shooter is. He's omitting a lot of shootings that should be, in his opinion, accounted as mass shootings. Right. So Lot, so Lankford, um, in his response, said that he omitted sponsored acts of terrorism, or so acts sponsored by like an organization like Al-Qaeda or whatever. And the reason he did that is because these, he says the psychology and criminology of that kind of shooter is very different from the lone wolf shooter that we see more often in America. And therefore, putting the two together would be inappropriate. It would muddy the water. They're two different phenomena. So you should study them separately. And Lot effectively says... Nuh-uh. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> what's important about that too, I think though, is like if we're examining a specific type of shooter, then yeah, that might make sense to emit some of that data. But if we're just examining gun violence in the world in general and saying that it's a uniquely American problem, and then we're eliminating all this other acts of gun violence, then I, I don't think that we should be doing that. You know, it, it well, it depends because what prompts a lone wolf shooter in America may be very different from what prompts a freedom fighter with big air quotes in Iraq. You know, so if if your goal is to try to solve the problem, well, yeah, <clears throat> if they have very different sources, it may be appropriate. And what lot the reason Lot says that we don't have that in America, he, what he's saying is that the people who would be lone wolf mass shooters if they lived in America are joining terrorist organizations elsewhere. And we don't have those in America. Yeah. Right. Exactly. We don't have those, not ones that routinely go shoot up places. And so they have no other outlets. So they cool. do it on their own. That's a claim that Lot makes that I haven't seen him substantiate, but it's basically just a separate, a different model. Well, I think what I was trying to get at too, was that if we're trying to identify the, the methods and, and the meaning behind or trying to identify what drives somebody to the shooting, then that's useful information. But if we're just saying that gun violence in general is a uniquely American problem, yes, the reason and the root cause is important to understand, but it's also important to recognize that there is gun violence across the world. Um, and it's not just uniquely American. Maybe the reasons behind it are uniquely American. Yeah, that's a good point that, 
that kind of distinction is important to make because just saying that we are 31% of mass shootings doesn't mean that we're 31% of even just shootings. This is a very specific kind of definition. And I think that what happens is the, especially in the media and you have, you know, Cory Booker, who uh, I quoted already, but saying that this is a uniquely American problem. We account for 31%, blah, blah, blah. But is that 31% actually 31%? And why this may seem like semantics, it's it's not because it's important to recognize that this is a global phenomenon. There is violence rampant throughout the world. And if we're going to try to solve this, understanding all aspects of it is important. And um, this also is cool because it shows how peer review works. Um, Some people... Some people, the conspiracy theorists, tend to be very mistrustful of peer review, but other people tend to be perhaps, I don't want to say too trustful because it is our best source of information, but just because it's peer review doesn't mean that it's accurate. Um, and so this is how the peer review process works. Someone will publish a paper, other people will pick it up, try to reproduce the findings yeah. or criticize how they did it, and it'll kind of go back and forth for a little while like that. So this is... Just because Lot is criticizing Langford doesn't mean that Langford is wrong or this is weird. This is completely normal. Yeah. And also, these are very early studies that are just being done. Like, we haven't been doing these studies for years because we haven't really had this problem. And so we're just now getting into the field where we can go through and start looking at the data and, and trying to determine what is the cause and what is the percentages. Right. But I think for us today, the good news, well... Maybe good news might be overstating it. The fact is that while we do have these mass shootings in America, and both Lott and Langford agree that we do, um, and they're horrible and probably the of all the shootings are the most like psychologically terrifying because of where they tend to happen and the circumstances. In terms of number of people who are hurt, maimed, or killed, compared to all firearm deaths, it's actually a very low percentage. So since 2001 to 2017, which is the last date they have, uh, there have been 554,000 deaths that involved a firearm. Of those two-thirds, well, not quite two-thirds, 60% were suicides, and 206,000 were homicides. And of that, less than 1% would have been from a mass shooter. Now, I don't want people to think that we are taking a side like, oh, there's no there's no gun problem here in America. There's no mass shooting problem because obviously we appall, we're appalled at mass shootings. We think it's a horrible thing. Um, but what we are doing here is saying that the media's portrayal of these mass shootings may not be accurate. And, and they're painting this huge epidemic of mass shootings in America in a different light than what might actually be the case. Right. Which... Um... Again, not to minimize the impact, especially the psychological impact of mass shootings. If you just look at it from a public health standpoint, like what is in terms of how many bodies does it stack up? Um, If you focus on the very startling things like the mass shooting or the guy who blows himself up or whatever, Mm -hmm. that mass shooter might kill, I don't know, 12 people, 15 people, which sounds awful. But in terms of bodies stacked up, the individual murderer kills orders of magnitude more people. And so if you focus too much on the one thing that's very um, in your face and it's very horrifying, but isn't as dangerous as it's made out to be in terms of absolute numbers of people that it affects, um, you could put resources. We only have finite resources, not just money, but political will. And so if we put all of our resources into solving the mass shooting problem, we may miss opportunities to save more lives by addressing bigger problems. Right. And so, and along that lines, like one of the, so one of the things that happens after these mass shootings is people start putting out what they deem to be answers. So your gun control, um, recently it's the AR 15, like everything gets blamed on the AR 15, um, but when you actually start to look at the data, so we'll, let's go with the AR-15, for example, okay? Some of the talking points of the AR-15 is that it's extremely easy to get. It's um, um, it's painted out to be like this weapon of war, right? But really all an AR-15 is is just a, a weapon design system. It's a semi-automatic rifle. It's no different than a, a hunting rifle. 
Um, it's basically like a 22 caliber bullet. And then what people do is they look at these AR-15s, or they call them AR-15 style weapons, you know. And, and they're saying that this this weapon is is the problem. So I think that's an issue. So like I watched the video, for example, uh, Chris Como on CNN. He said, quote, it's modular meaning you can add features to personalize it, including, you know, you can play with different parts of it with kits and you can make it repeat in three shot bursts or even more. Now, that's his quote, but he what he's doing there is making it seem like anybody can just go off the street and buy this kit to add to their weapon and make it shoot fully automatic or in three rounds burst. But that's not actually the case. What's modular about it is you can add a flashlight to it. You can put different scopes on it um, and things like that. You can add so much stuff to it. It's ridiculous. Right. But it doesn't make the weapon any more deadly. Those things are mostly cosmetic in nature. In fact, it probably makes it way less deadly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And, And just another point of order, both Jared and I are soldiers, so we are intimately familiar with this platform. And if you gave me the choice between a semi-automatic rifle that could only shoot on semi, meaning every time I pull the trigger, it shoots one and only one round, or one that shot on burst, and it's like, here's a weapon, inflict the most casualties, I'm going to go with semi-automatic every time. Right. Because all I'm doing with burst is I'm hitting the first round and then wasting two other rounds making a lot of noise. Right. Because you're not going to hit your target doing that. (laughs) Right. But I can fire almost as fast on semi-automatic with well-aimed shots. Like I'm far more dangerous with a semi-automatic weapon. So it's not that the AR-15 is obviously it's a weapon designed to kill human beings. That's what it's for. But the... the the idea that, Oh, this guy has a bump stock or this guy can shoot it on burst. That makes it like, I don't know, a two forty Bravo machine gun. It's just ridiculous. Right. Well, the other thing too, is like these, these things that he's saying are making it modular. Those things in order to do that to an AR 15, you are doing something illegal. Obviously killing people is illegal to begin with, but not the average Joe just can't go and buy a kit to make his weapon fire in three round burst or fully automatic. You have to do some serious, smithing to that gun to change the mechanics of it to actually make it do that you can leave out some parts but you have to know what you're doing and again it's not more effective now (laughs) (laughs) no so these people are saying oh it's a you know fully automatic or making a bump stock well most of the people are saying this have never shot a weapon to begin with um because if you did you would know if you go to the rifle range and you try to shoot something fully automatic or in a three-round burst you're not going to hit the target, but maybe once if that, um, because it, the weapon becomes unstable at that point. And the other point too, I was talking with somebody at work the other day, a semi-automatic weapon, a pistol is semi-automatic. I can, if you give me a pistol and five magazines, I guarantee you I could get off just about as many rounds as somebody with an AR 15 by doing quick mag changes because I've practiced it over and over. So while, yes, the AR-15 may be more deadly, has more power, uh, it's designed for longer ranges. And most mass shootings are done in close quarters. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not necessarily more deadly in that capacity. But And that kind of leads to the real problem. in term, It's not the kind of weapon you have. It's whether or not you have one. Right. Like, it, whether or not I have a rifle or a pistol is more important if the other person also has one. Right. Then, like, if you have a pistol and I have a rifle, most situations I'm going to win that fight. But if I have a pistol or a rifle and you have nothing, then it it almost doesn't even matter which one I have as long as you're close. Um, and that's borne out by the data. If you look at the number of deaths by type of firearm handguns far and away are used more often. Right. And I think one thing, so I don't know if you remember the, the Virginia tech shooting, but uh, mm-hmm. that was done with a pistol. I believe Virginia tech shooting was horrible. So it's not blaming it on the weapon is not, not the issue. When talking about this issue, uh, gun violence or gun control, it's important to or really any issue. It's important to identify what your goals are and what, factors you think are important. So in this case, is our goal to protect the public safety and save as many lives as possible? Or is our goal to reduce the number of people shot in any one incident? Right. So if your goal is absolute numbers of deaths don't matter, but we want fewer deaths per incident, 
then perhaps um, you might take one course. But if your goal is, I don't care how many people die at one time, what I'm worried about is how many people are dying. That is a totally different data set. Right. And for example, so if you look at, at gun deaths in America, uh, the FBI, the, so you can go on the FBI's webpage and look this information up. But the most recent data set from 2017, there were 15,129 murder victims in the U.S. in 2017. And of those, 10,982 were as a result of firearms. But only 403 were the result of rifles. So that's 0.026% of all murders in 2017 were committed with rifles. Right. And um, another great resource is the CDC. If you look at their WISCARS, W-I-S-Q-A-R-S system, it's really slick, got good data visualization. They've got data going all the way back to 2001. You can filter by state, by age, by weapon use, by intent, like a whole, like whatever you want. And looking at, I'm just looking at the, stats from 2012 to 2017, 16.9% of all deaths in America are involve a firearm. Right. Um, they are beaten only by cars and drugs. Um, so if you really want to save lives, outlaw cars. We cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and that just shows like if only point, what was it? 0.5 you said? some Something under 1%. 0.02%. Two six percent of all murders in twenty seventeen were the result of rifles. Right. So if you if you fell into the trap of kind of looking at the really shiny, scary object, you'd be addressing at best 0.02% of the problem. Sure surely it's better if again we're trying to save lives to address the other ninety nine point nine eight percent of the problem. And maybe, you know, it's it's I think it's plausible at least that some of the things that fix the 99.98% might help you some in the other bit. (laughs) Well, I mean, so for example, data. um, So the New York times posted an article and and they claimed that nearly 40,000 people died from guns in the U S in 2017, which was the highest in 50 years. So that seems like a lot. It is a lot actually, (laughs) but um, what they failed to, to highlight was the fact that of those 39,773 people that were killed by firearms, 23,854 were the result of suicide. Right. Uh, roughly, well, not quite, but almost two-thirds of deaths involving a fi- firearm are suicides, which right. is a huge problem. That just kind of points to the mental health issue that we have in America, which right. is a whole other thing. But what um, happens is is you these datas are getting th- – so at, in the wake of a mass shooting – this data point gets thrown around like we, you know, this violence issue. Well, while yes, suicide is a violence issue, it's not necessarily a gun violence issue that's a public threat. Well, how you'd address a suicide is very different from how you'd address a homicide, which may be different from how you address a mass shooting. Right. So anyway, I, th- I think we've established that rifles are not the crux right, of the problem. Rifles are not the problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the firearms in general could be the problem, but it's not rifles. But the next thing that will often get said is, okay, well, regardless of what is causing it, we all know what the root cause is, and that's those darn violent video games. Right. Which is crazy because I post, I shared something with you that Walmart um, started taking up violent video games from there stores as a result of this last uh, El Paso shooting. So. Yeah, not not the guns. They no. still have those. Yeah, but the video games, that's the real <laughs> issue. That's the real issue. And though I joke about it, because as you'll hear, the data just doesn't bear that out, it isn't completely implausible. Like, for instance, an awesome game I used to play, I guess I've been a while, but Gears of War, like within the first 30 seconds, there's, there's virtually no plot. You wake up in a jail cell. You're this big brawny guy. Some dude kicks in your doors like, hey, there's stuff to shoot. Hands you a <laughs> a automatic rifle with a chainsaw attached. <laughs> and you just like go through this jail cell, literally shooting and chainsawing people. And blood is spattering on the screen. It's awesome. But it's, it's not completely implausible that especially kids being exposed to something so violent mm-hmm. could affect them. Like that, that's not crazy. But the question is, just it being implausible isn't enough. The question is, 
does it actually do that? And since we've had violent video games for most of my life, we now have the data to examine that claim. Right. And what does the, what does it say? What does the data say? Uh, well, it's interesting because if you if you look at the data, there's been a real shift um, since the '90s into today. As in the '90s is really when you know Doom came out, so violent video games kind of hit the public consciousness, and that's when research started gearing up on them. And at first, what you get if you look at the papers, just by just scanning the titles, you see like, "Do violent video games have an impact?" Basically, asking the question like, "We should look into this, whatever." And then as you go at a decade later, the answer is, do they have an impact? Yeah, it turns out they don't. Um, so, for example, if you look at... This one was really good. It came out of the Royal Society. Violent video game engagement is not associated with adolescence aggressive behavior. Evidence from a registered report. This one was published just in uh, February. And they looked at 1,000 British adolescents, um, age 14 and 15, Girls and boys. Um, this one was cool because uh, they looked at not just a lot of um, studies are kind of self-reported in that they asked the teen, how violent do you think this video game is? And then they asked the teen, how aggressive do you think you are before and after? So there's a lot of uh, wiggle room there, a lot of chances to mess up your data set or kind of mm-hmm. have extra pieces. What they did here was they rated the video games and they also talked to the parents. And so they got the adolescents opinion. They looked at the video game themselves and then for how aggressive they were, they asked the caretakers whether or not they were aggressive. So you had kind of an outside perspective, not just the inside perspective of the teen, but the people around them. And they ran several cases and they found, um, so they ran like, Cases with violent video games. They ran cases uh, based on just video games in general. They looked at how violent the video games were, and literally there was no link whatsoever. No matter how they sliced it, there was no link at all between um, the violence of the video game, how often they spent with it. It wasn't like, oh, well, if you only spend a couple hours, you're fine, but if you hit 15, you know, you're going to go on a violent <laughs> rampage. <laughs> right. You hit the threshold. Um, Right. And there are other papers, uh, one that was kind of focused on the media effects, gun violence and media effects, challenges for science and public policy, kind of looked at the same thing. It it said, here's the data showing that video games don't cause a problem, but why does the media keep saying it? There was even a good one, um, video game violence use among vulnerable populations that examined like, okay, we know now that video games don't cause an issue in children. Um, But what about people with like existing mental health problems? Maybe they're more susceptible, um, which is a reasonable question, but they also found no link whatsoever between that. Mm. So basically up and down the board, it, the violence of the media doesn't seem to have any impact on whether the person goes to act violence itself, which, I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense. Like, even before video games, we had violent movies, right. right? And even though I'm not personally controlling the character, like you had Friday the 13th and all our parents grew up with like war movies, but you know, you don't see John Wayne hitting D-Day and then go out and shoot some Nazis, you know? <laughs> I think the human mind is capable of distinguishing between fantasy and reality, yeah. um, whether it's in literature or video games or whatever. And so it, I think this kind of comes about because there's a large proportion of these mass shooters when they do their manifesto, they'll reference doom or they played call of duty or whatever. And so it's like, Oh, look at all these people playing violent video games that are shooting people. But that leaves out the important piece. But yeah, they played violent video games. So did literally everyone else. Right. And it, if, if it was the case, why is it, why is it only happening in America? If it was the case that violent video games actually cause people to go out and do mass shootings, then Korea would be definitely number one in the country with all the video games that they're playing. I mean, there would be no one left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all they do is play video games in Korea. So, um. yeah, you can look, you can look at, um, I didn't, I don't have a citation for this one. Um, but you can check me and Google it. You can see it. There's no correlation between gun violence and video game sales. Right. It's what it, 
so in your research, because uh, uh, you kind of tackled this topic, but um, did you find anything to the contrary of this? Was there any sort of papers or anything out there suggesting that there was a correlation between the, the media and the propensity for violence? Not recently. There were um, papers from the late 90s and early 2000s mm-hmm. that may have suggested connections. Um, but as time went on and you got further and further along in the research, it became they became more and more the minority um, until the point where researchers publishing past 2010, even the ones that aren't like focusing on that, even they say in like their abstract, it's kind of taken as a given at this point. Right. Like anybody who's doing research in this field, it's pretty much it's known that there's no link. The research is geared less about like, what's the link and more like, okay, why do it? Why does everyone still think there's a link? <laughs> yeah. Kill your zombies. So go um, ahead and, uh, and chainsaw those locusts. You have my permission. So it's not rifles that are the problem right. and it's not video games that are the problem. So that begs the question, what is the problem? You know, what, what is, cause there's no question. We definitely have a gun violence problem. I mean, 20% of the people who die in America die because of a firearm. So what is the problem and what can we do to solve it? I don't know if there's much data to support this, but I, I think, uh, education training, uh, licensure is three of the big things that I think would, would drastically reduce some of the other gun violence. Um, so the things that you often hear bandied about are universal background checks is a big one you hear and that by universal background checks that means every single person in america regardless of the state and regardless of who they're buying the firearm from has to undergo a background check in order to purchase it whereas right now it varies between state to state um, and there's a lot of states where uh, for example virginia has what's been labeled the gun show loophole so if it's a private citizen selling to a private citizen they don't have to do a background check um but one of the beauties of the federalist system is that we can test this out in different states and we can just see what happens you know um other things that are thrown about are outlawing quote-unquote assault style weapons or reducing magazine size um, requiring permits like you said confiscating all guns completely but that's unrealistic well i mean yeah i think the, i think the biggest thing there is the it's always put the ease of use of easy how e- how easy it is to get the weapon is one of the things that people harp on the most um but it's really not that easy to, uh to get a weapon especially if, if you're buying it through a legal source right well if you're buying it from a legal like from a dealer then you generally have to have a background check Right. Which I went and pur- so a couple months ago, I went and purchased a new pistol and um, I had to get a background check and I wasn't able to leave until it was cleared. And, um, you know, so like it, it, most people who talk about this stuff have never actually went out and tried to purchase a firearm. All these solutions sound great. Or maybe they sound scary, depending on what side of the political divide you're on. But wouldn't it be nice if we could look at the data and see if anyone's tried these solutions and see what they did. Turns out we can. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And because we live in America, we can do that. So let me find, this is the one that you got for me. Uh, The impact of state firearm laws on homicide rates in suburban and rural areas compared to large cities in the United States, 91 to 2016 by Siegel Solomon et al. uh, in the Journal of Rural Health. This is one of the best papers I've ever read. Like, this paper is awesome. I was, like, fanboying out over this (laughs) paper. (laughs) It's it's actually, there's there's quite a bit. uh, Hopefully, you guys will go and look at this paper because the data that they use, the way they present it, it's all, I mean, it's... So the actual paper is behind a paywall, but um, BU, the university, um, put out a, a reasonable summary. It doesn't go quite into as much depth, but it faithfully represents what they're saying. Um, but what they did was they basically said, okay, we've got these firearm laws 
that have been proposed to help mitigate homicides, mitigate deaths that involve firearms, how effective were they? And so they looked at all the data from 1991 to 2016. They looked at a cross-section of the states because firearms laws vary from state to state. And so they were able to compare directly the deaths between the trend of firearm-related deaths between places that had X law and places that didn't. So they were able to examine not just state to state, not just over time, but also how urban the area was. Uh, So urban versus suburban or rural. Mm -hmm. And they were able to examine each policy individually to examine its effect independent of all the others. So it's a really great test. Like we don't have to wonder, we can look at exactly what these laws do and then decide whether or not that's worth doing. So the policies that they looked at specifically were universal background checks, may issue laws, uh, which basically gives police and localities better discretion or increased discretion on issuing concealed carry permits, not stopping you from getting a firearm at all, but um, perhaps uh, putting more restrictions on whether you can carry it concealed. Prohibiting gun possession by people convicted of a violent misdemeanor. So felons pretty much universally aren't allowed to have a firearm, but some places, (laughs) right. You've lost your privilege with a firearm. If you commit a felony, some places go further. And if you've convicted a violent misdemeanor, you also can't have a firearm. And lastly, they looked at permit requirements. So you have to have some kind of license in order to own a firearm. So they looked at all these things and you can look through the paper and they've got all the data for all the States. It's great, but I'll skip to the end. I'll try to contain my excitement. (laughs) So, so in the results section, universal background checks were associated with a 13% lower firearm homicide rate in large cities, but there was no association with homicide rates in lower, smaller localities. So basically in cities, background checks were very effective, but they didn't have much effect in other places. Permit requirements were associated with a 21% lower firearm homicide rate in large cities and 20% outside, so pretty much the same. The misdemeanor laws, 30% lower in small localities, but not in large cities. The may issue concealed carry, 17% lower in large cities, but not in small locations. Standard ground laws and gun trafficking laws were not associated with any um, change in homicide rates. So the bottom line is each and every one of those measures was effective. And the most effective were the ones that required Lottie Dottie everybody to have a, a background check before you could have a weapon and required everyone to have a permit of some sort before you could have a weapon. Right. Um, so that's, that's something that we could easily put into place when we're talking about what can we do to reduce gun violence in America. Right. And so, just again, I'm I'm looking at the CDC data um, because a lot of people are concerned about um, allowing the government more control over who can have a gun or putting barriers before citizens. But just to get an, an, a feel for the impact, let's say all we did was universal background checks for everyone, and it reduced it by thirteen percent. Well, the number of deaths related to firearms, we'll say homicides. I don't know. Actually, that's a good question. I don't know if this paper... Oh, it's, it is specifically talking about homicides, so I don't think suicides are included. Okay. So if you look at homicides, for the last five years, 75,774 people have died from homicides that involved a firearm. So that means had we had universal background checks in that period, we would have saved almost 10,000 people would be alive today that are not currently alive. Yeah. Uh, Permits, doing the same math, it had a 21% uh, reduction. So 21% of 75,000, almost, so about 16,000 people. So these are huge increases in safety 
um, that have been demonstrated to be effective by our federalist system. So the question is, should we do them? Like, should we institute these broadly? Well, I mean, I think that's up to the... That's not a question that statistics are going to tell you. Like all data is going to tell you is what the effect of this decision will be. If you implement this, this is your expected result. Right. So if we implemented universal background checks, um, permits, and restrictions for violent, violent misdemeanor, for violent criminals, if we did just those things, we would save tens of thousands of lives. So the question is, is it worth it? And I think for most people, most people not in Washington, the answer would probably be yes, because if you think about it, what most people, especially those that are leaning perhaps right, their biggest concern is, my I have a Second Amendment guaranteed right to have a fire, or my rights will not be infringed, right? Right. But those same people would probably agree that if you're a violent felon, you don't need a gun. Like if you've demonstrated that you are not responsible and are going to harm those around you, you probably don't need a firearm. And I think most of those people would think it would be great if you had to have some basic level of training before you had a firearm. Right. So like I don't you think you don't just give somebody a driver's license without teaching them how to drive a car first. Right. Now, granted, there is a difference between the car and the gun simply because you aren't constitutionally guaranteed guaranteed the right to carry to drive a car. Well, yeah, I'm just but like. The same general principle applies. Like you don't send right. people out on the road. So, I, I think probably the hang-up for most people is not necessarily. Uh, they often put up. That's the first offense. Like I have the right. You know, the government should stay out of my business, basically. But I think most of them also think that these things won't be effective. You know, crim- You often hear, "Well, what's the point of passing a law? Criminals don't follow the law." All you're going to do is stop law-abiding citizens from having a gun. That's what you hear all the time. But the data just doesn't say that. Like The data is very clear that 21% fewer people die from firearms if you have these laws. Right. The other thing- that's, not an, that's not an opinion. Like, that's just that's fact. Well, the other thing, too, with, with the, Second Amendment, uh, the Second Amendment is that we already put limitations on the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment doesn't mean a free-for-all. Like we have limitations in place already. I can't go out and buy a fully automatic submachine gun. I can't go out and buy an AT4 rocket launcher. Like those are arms, but I don't have the right to own those. So like we already implement, you know, limitations on the second amendment and people don't, you know, when they're citing the second amendment, they don't really, you know, include that. Which makes sense. I mean, we do the same thing with the First Amendment. You know, you have the right to free speech, but you don't have the right to slander other people you and don't, harm you them. You don't have the right to yell fire in a freaking movie theater. Actually, that one I looked up, and <laughs> that, is that false? is not. It used to be true, and I believe it was overturned. Oh, wow. I'm not a law professor. I feel like that one's no longer true, but the principle is the same. Like, you, you can't incite a riot. Right, you can't incite violence for... You can't incite violence, right. right? So you can't use your freedom of speech. You have the right to say whatever you want. However, comma, you do not have the right to use your words in order to physically harm someone. And I, I think this comes into where we talk about common sense gun laws. And that's what uh, one of the big sticking points is. Let's implement common sense gun laws, right? So does it make sense yeah. for the average person to have a AR-15 style rifle? I think you, that should that falls under, that it should be okay. But we have to ask I these mean, questions. If, if you look at the statistics, they just aren't a problem, right? You know, like in terms of like number of people that are killed. Right. So, if, if it if you really want to save lives, then you should ban pistols because they cause most deaths. So, right. Um, so, I, I think it's important as skeptics to set aside what you might have thought going in, and just be open to changing your mind. And this situation and all others so you have to really ask yourself you have to accept what the data is telling you if it is in fact good data um and so if we assume that this data is good is 15 we'll say if you put them all together i'm just gonna say twenty thousand people Twenty thousand people died over the last five years is it worth not having to do a background check to to kill twenty thousand people right 
is the sacrifice of 20,000 lives worth a background check, which if you are legally allowed to own a firearm, will not stop you from having one. Right. It's only going to stop the people who shouldn't have firearms, like felons right. and people who are maybe mentally ill or people who... Right. Um, this this also... This, this particular solution wasn't involved in the study, so I don't have data for this one. But if you had a waiting period, say you had to wait a week before you can have a firearm. I personally cannot think of a legitimate reason why I need a firearm in the next five minutes. Like if I don't presently have one, I can't think of anything that doesn't involve illegally harming another human being. That means I need to buy one today, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, and, and that doesn't keep you from getting the weapon. It just means you have to wait a little bit for it. Right. And that actually plausibly, and again, we need to bear this out in the data, but it would plausibly help with the much larger problem of suicide because most people who are suicidal, most people who are suicidal are not suicidal for long. Right. It's a short period of time where they, they feel overwhelmed and they want to end their pain and suffering. And so they seek out a means for it. Right. But within a day, sometimes even hours, you can go from, I'm going to kill myself and like going to enact a plan to well, that was stupid. I feel fine now, you know? And so if you have a waiting period, again, I don't have data for this, but it's plausible. It's worth looking into. Um, you might save some lives in that much larger chunk if you were willing to wait a few days. And I think you just kind of have to take a step back and look at the goal. What is the goal? The goal is for every law-abiding citizen who will responsibly use a firearm to be able to obtain one. And every person who is not going to responsibly use it to not have one. Right. I think that's a goal that pretty much everyone should agree with. Right. Pretty much. There's going to be some outliers out there, but uh, (laughs) right. Yeah. But we're talking to the reasonable center here. Um, If you, I think you'd be hard pressed to defend the premise that someone, if someone you knew for a fact is going to take this gun and go murder someone tomorrow, that they should have one, you know, or someone say who murdered someone last year that this guy has a history of shooting up malls that that guy should have a gun. Yeah. And the, and the bigger issue here too, is is like you mentioned is, is actually looking at what the data is. You may have a preconceived notion going into going into the conversation, but being open to having your mind changed. um, That's to me, what skepticism is all about is being open to receiving new data and making an informed decision on on the best way to proceed. Right. And using the data to inform your opinion and not allowing fear to override what reason is telling you. Right. So I have some friends who are like, well, I don't, even if I even had a guy tell me, even if it saved 20,000 lives, I don't want it because I don't want the government to take my guns. And this is one step towards that, which is true. It is, it is a step towards that in the sense that it is any action whatsoever that is more than what they're currently doing. But is it really reasonable to say that if we have a background check, that that will inevitably and inexorably lead to the government kicking in my door and taking my gun? Probably not. Which <laughs> probably not, which is where, it's frustrating the the state of the discussion because you've got people on the left who are like, um, we should get rid of all assault rifles. You know, we should ban all weapons, that sort of, that sort of crowd who are the extreme left. But then you've got people on the extreme right who are like any gun control is bad gun control. You know, we not one step further when perhaps if we were just take one little step, we could save thousands of lives, right. and then this wouldn't be an issue anymore. And, and both of those sides are not looking at the data. They're using their emotions no. to make decisions. Exactly. Isn't it scary that someone just killed a bunch of people? We should act because of that fear. Or isn't it scary that the government would take your guns? You should act because of that fear. All we're saying is, yes, it's scary, but why don't we put that fear aside look at what the data is telling us and then make a rational decision that will right. save lives. I, uh, this is somewhat related. Um, but I was, I can't find it now, but, and if I find it, I'll post it. Um, but I was reading something and there was a huge correlation between 
um, socioeconomic levels and, and gun violence. So the more poverty stricken areas in America account for the majority of gun violence. And so perhaps that is an area where we should look at is trying to reduce poverty um, because in those areas, it, gun violence tends to increase. Um, I wish I had the, the source, but I can't find it at the moment. That's a good point. And that probably just stems from the fact that crime in general is worse in poverty. Poverty, poverty is strongly correlated with crimes right. of all sorts. So if you, if you can alleviate poverty, you will almost inevitably alleviate crime. And ultimately, that's the goal, right? Is to live in a utopia? No, the goal was for the government to stay out of my business. That's <laughs> in the, the word the ludicrous. Stay the fuck up out my business. <laughs> <laughs> like you said before, a lot of the people talking about this stuff have never held or fired a weapon in their lives. So like, for instance, one of my favorite uh, things on, on the I say favorite it probably should cut that out because it was about a murder and that's horrible like I, that's insensitive scratch that <laughs> scratch that uh that's going to be on the blooper reel but <laughs> uh, anyway it was like oh the shooter he he changed magazines in under 10 seconds you know he was super proficient like that is horrible you know <laughs> yeah as somebody who's done mag change drills you are failing like, yeah i like it doesn't take that long to change a magazine which is why oh we should have 30 round magazines or 20 rounds or 10 rounds if you've practiced at all you can change a magazine in three seconds or less right regardless of the size and so it does it, it's yeah. it's not that hard to practice if you have you three just, 30 three 10 round magazines and you can make Three mag changes in under ten seconds. Right. So you've you've lost the shooter ten seconds. Right. Which is not the world shattering change that I think people are talking about. No. And again, on the irrationality of, I guess I'm picking on the left here, but my I have a cousin um, who is very like socialist, like self avowed socialist. Hates all guns. We shouldn't have any of them. You know there are evil things that if we just could get rid of guns, everything would be fine. Um, which I guess there would be zero firearm deaths if there were no guns. But in any case, she was talking about how she was going to carry this Hello Kitty uh, like eyeball gouger. It's hmm. like a thing you put on, on your keychain that is specifically designed to gouge eyeballs. And she was saying, like, I have to carry this because I'm a woman or whatever. And it's like, well, you could just carry a gun. You know, that would be a lot more effective because how many times have you practiced gouging eyeballs? And she was like, I won't carry a gun. You know, it's too violent. It's wrong. And I was like, let me get this straight. It's not cool for you to have a gun and shoot a guy, but it is totally cool for you to gouge his fucking eyeballs out. (laughs) (laughs) Like, are you... I am. I served in the infantry for 15 years. I'm not sure I have the intestinal fortitude to gouge dudes' eyeballs out. You know, like that's some pretty hellacious shit. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I could shoot a motherfucker for sure, but yeah, I don't know that I'd take my Hello Kitty keychain and gouge his eyeballs out. <laughs> Which, sorry, I'm going on a bit of a rant here, but yeah. like the. <sighs> It seems to me that real talk, if you're a 110 pound woman, you should be or 110 pound man. If you are a very small person, you should be the most pro gun person there is because if someone my size, I'm a 230 pound fat body. Now, uh, if someone my size wants to inflict their will in a damaging way on someone far smaller than them. Unless that person who is far smaller has specialized training or a weapon, they will almost certainly lose. Yes. That's just the way that physics works. But you introduce a gun into the situation and suddenly the fact that I am stronger than the other person doesn't matter anymore. It prevents the dominance of the strong over the weak. You know, you're the, the single mother defending her family is just as effective with a gun as the linebacker, you know? Well, that's, that's, that's also another point that I uh, looked up and um, basically the whole idea that a good guy stop, good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun. 
and, and the data is, data doesn't really support that. So the study has shown that people who are far more likely to shoot themselves or an innocent bystander than they are to stop a gunman. So that's another thing too, is like, if the idea is to protect yourself or whatever, most of the times it's just not going to happen. Shooting someone effectively without collateral damage is not easy. Yeah, it's 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 a skill. It's hard. There's a reason why people train all day, every day with that one skill, because it's not easy to do. So. As a veteran, as an infantryman, I there are privates that were under my command who I did not feel were fully trained (laughs) with the firearm, and they ostensibly went to basic training for weeks for this one task. Please, please, if you are going to be the good guy with a gun, please get training like go take a class go to the range like that i think it's completely indefensible not to require that like who is who is at the range like man i sure am glad that that guy next to me required no training or experience whatsoever to have this deadly weapon yeah (laughs) (laughs) that, that that goes back to Proper training, proper, you know. Yeah, if you really want to defend your family, which is laudable, if you really want to be a responsible gun owner, having under, with rights come responsibilities, you know, that you have the right to vote, but that comes with the responsibility of being informed. You have the right to carry a gun if you so wish. But that comes with the responsibility of knowing how to use it effectively and safely. So the I found the stat. Um, it's the ratio of criminal homicides to justifiable homicides. It's 34 to 1. So for every 34 criminal homicides, there's only one justifiable homicide. So basically, uh, that is a person who used that gun in self-defense, basically. Um, it's a pretty small ratio. but Yeah. So... If we're just going to throw out our own ideas, actually, I had this idea before I saw the data, but then the data bore out my idea. So happy days, I guess. I would have changed my mind if the data had said otherwise. Likewise. I promise. But um, it seems to me a simple solution. If we're, I mean, I have absolutely no expertise in this area, so take this for the drooling ravings of an idiot. But my idea would be you have a license, just like you have a license for your car. You have a license to own a gun. That license comes with a background check that has to be renewed periodically, and it would be like a central place where if you commit that violent misdemeanor or felony or whatever, they just update your status, and there you go. And that license would also come with training requirements. So everyone who, to get the license, you have to demonstrate that you not only know how to handle it, how to handle it safely, but also how to employ it safely. I'm not saying that they have to be, you know... Infantrymen and you know right. expert marksmen, but I mean, but at least, able at least to take a, a written test or something. That yeah, just a simple training course and some kind of demonstration of competence that you can employ this firearm without being a danger to anyone but your target. Right. Or make it so that this is me spitballing here, but make it so that if you've taken a a class or you know a firearm safety class, that maybe that expedites your your permit and licensure process. Like maybe that speeds up the, the timeline of when you able to actually purchase a firearm. I mean, the specifics I'd leave to, I'll leave to smarter people than me, but like me, it seems to me like, yeah, like you, <laughs> it seems to me that that would solve, that would address a lot of the concerns. It would institute the universal background checks and the permitting thing, which data shows would help. It also alleviates the problem that some people bring up that it would be too much of a burden on like a private sale to have to do a background check every time. But all they'd have to do is, you know, just boop, type some numbers into a computer. Looks like your license is good. Here's your gun, Mr. Smith. You know, um, seems like a good solution to me, but what do I know? And at least it's a, it's a step in the right direction too. Right. Like, yeah, like the data that you, that you showed us um, supports the fact that universal background checks and, permits actually reduce gun violence and gun death. So it's something simple that can be implemented and automatically save lives.
I think that's a good place to stop. We hit on a lot of topics. We covered a lot of ground. I hope that sparks some questions. Maybe go out and have some conversations with people and informed by data and evidence. Uh, and remember, until next time, you always have a reason to doubt.